Welcome everybody and thank you for tuning into the Spark Experience. My name is Mario Matichek and I'm your host. If you're listening to this podcast, it means that you're interested in change and learning new things. On the Spark Experience, we talk about business strategies, mindset strategies and coaching strategies to ignite your potential. Today we are joined by Haider Hussein, who started with very little but had a big dream to run a successful nationwide business. He now operates one of the largest cleaning franchises in the world and today we are lucky to be joined by such an amazing and humble individual who will take us through the process of how he did it, the sacrifices he had to make and some key tips for those wanting to start their own business. Make sure you stay tuned to find out how Hader achieved this and how you can achieve your dreams too. Welcome everybody to the Spark Experience. It's an absolute honor to have Haider Hussein on the show today where we will discuss what it took to build the world's largest cleaning franchise and how to always find an edge in business and life. Welcome, Hayda, and thank you for your time. Awesome. Thank you, Mario. Not a problem. Hayda, would you mind giving the listeners a rundown of your journey so far and what you're looking to achieve in the next chapter of your life? Sure. My business is the Gym's Cleaning Group, and most of my business journey has only been that. It's the only thing that I've done. Besides that, I was working for an employer. Initially, when I left school, I got a job in the bank, and I was there for about 10 years. But while I was there... I felt the need to start a small um, part-time job and the easiest thing to do at the time was do cleaning work. So I used to work in the bank, so I managed to clean the bank that I was working at in the evenings, which was quite smart because you (laughs) you didn't have to travel anywhere. As soon as you finish your work, you just get changed and start cleaning. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And that was really fun because it was, you know, a bit of exercise and all that kind of stuff and extra money. So over time, uh, I was cleaning about four branches. That did pretty well. So then I thought, maybe I could make a business out of this, you know, part-time business. Yep. So working at the bank, I had access to a lot of uh, uh, business people, you know, like shops and pubs and that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. So I printed these business cards and I started handing them out to my bank customers. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, so that worked really well. And they were very supportive of me. Um, so I started employing people. And I'm not sure how long, but over some, you know, a couple of years or so, that part-time cleaning business, I realized I was earning more money there than I was earning my day-to-day job. Your side hustle pretty much replaced your full-time income then. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was very surprising. So I made the decision to do cleaning full-time, you know, like, why not? Yes. And to be honest, in those days, it wasn't actually about earning more money. You know, everyone wants to earn more money. But one of the reasons for joining the bank in the first place was to potentially one day be a bank manager, right? And my father was a bank manager and that really appealed to me, you know? Mm. And the things that appealed to me were my father had his own office, um, he had his own parking spot and he was really respected in the community. I wanted to be like him, you know? Most, most kids want to be like their parents anyway. Definitely. Yeah. So it was very hard for me to achieve those things in the bank because it was got harder to be, to be managers. And in fact, managers didn't even have offices anymore. You know, times changed. They, you know, they had open plan offices where everyone worked together. You know, I wanted my own office, you know. Mm. So I thought the cleaning business could actually give me that. One day I could have my own building and my own office and my, my own car park and all that sort of stuff. So that was the original motivator. So we went out to try and build this cleaning business. And, you know, we did all right. We're we're getting local jobs, you know, local businesses. But I wanted to expand and and get national work. You know, I wanted to be Australia-wide and all those big dreams that I had. Yeah. But it was very hard to get national work 
with just a an unknown name, you know. Mm. And my initial cleaning business was, was called the Cleaner Choice, yep. which you know, I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> but no one, no one respected it. You know, they thought, who are you? You know, how long have you been in business? Like, it was very hard to get big work. So then I thought, oh, I probably need to do like a TV campaign or a radio campaign. And I realized that that was a little bit unaffordable. So I started thinking of other ways of, of doing it. And I actually got a letter in the mail from a, another national cleaning business. And they were based in Adelaide. Oh, who was that? They were, uh, they were called Fab Cleaning, F-A-B. Yeah. And, and they, they were looking to expand their operations uh, Australia-wide as well. So they were looking for existing cleaners to somehow merge with them to become national, you know? Interesting. So I kind of looked into that a little bit. And that didn't really appeal to me because, um, you know, again, they were an, an unknown and I didn't feel comfortable working with someone that I really didn't know. Yeah. Um, and in that search and investigation, I came across the Jim's Mowing Empire. And we've all heard of Jim's Mowing, obviously. Definitely. Yeah. And again, I was a bit lucky there because my next door neighbour, his brother was working in the head office of the Jim's group at the time. In fact, when I said I, I came across them, you know, they came to me and they said, would you consider you know, bringing your operation into the Jim's mowing platform and revitalising Jim's cleaning? Because they had actually tried to build Jim's cleaning for a few years before that, which was a little bit unsuccessful for them. How come it was unsuccessful for them? Like what made them actually approach, approach yourself? Yeah, good, very good question. I think it was the people they had running the show yeah um and in fact by the time i got to them or they came to me the management was based in new zealand hmm. so you know you think about it they're trying to run an australian cleaning business based in new zealand yeah it's never going to work like that <laughs> no the people are wrong and as we get to talking you'll understand in my journey that the success has been the people around me and you know their problem was the people around them so that was good for me Yes, very, very good. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we got to talking and the investment price at the time I couldn't afford. So we came up with this plan where I took the rights for uh, one quarter of Melbourne to run it as they call it a regional franchise. Uh, That was my initial investment. And that was $25,000, by the way. And was this $25,000? Was this in the 90s? In 2001. 2001 okay so yeah i guess 25 grand for 2001 two decades ago is quite a lot of cash possibly the houses those days were worth around 200,000 oh, okay an average home yeah you know so i took on this uh, uh quarter of melbourne and there was another guy who looked after another quarter of melbourne and the other two quarters they were vacant so they let up me and that other guy look after them without owning them we decided to go to a franchise expo in Melbourne at the time. And our objective was to try and sell franchises. And the, the first people that walked up to me, they wanted to buy a franchise in the neighbouring area that I didn't own, right? Mm-hmm. And this is very important. And then I, I tried to convince them to buy in my area that I own, but they didn't. They wanted to buy where they lived. So that's what sort of gave me the idea really quickly to try and buy more areas because obviously the bigger your area, the, the more catchment you have to grow your business, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so quickly, um, they gave me the idea of buying more areas. 
so which I did. I bought that other area and actually sold them and franchise in that area. You know, the journey began. It's quite interesting because it's like you hear all, you hear different types of stories and and you were obviously very wise at that stage in your career to realize, you know, my business at the moment that I'm trying to create with my own name doesn't have the reputation mm. and the respect that you want for, for the type of goal and vision that you had, which to yes. take it, you know, national and international probably at that stage. Yes. Yes. So you then obviously connected with Jim's mowing and they, their yeah. department in Jim's cleaning failed at that time, which was a kind of, you know, it was good timing for you. Correct. And then, and then you went into it. So when you said you didn't actually own anything, but you just controlled the rights, can you talk a bit more about that in detail to the people that would be listening to this right now? Sure. Well, in the franchising game, you know, there is what they call the national franchisor, and that's in, in all franchising. You know, they own the rights to that name, let's say, in Australia. Um, and their objective is to bring on people or sell rights to people to manage certain areas of their business. Franchising is everyone buys an area and they run that area to benefit the major brand. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Say McDonald's, for instance. If you were to buy the national rights of McDonald's, who knows what the cost is, but probably billions of dollars. Mm. So you don't actually buy all of it. You buy a certain area of it. Mm-hmm. And you might buy a suburb rights or I don't know, area rights. Area rights might be, like in my case, one quarter of Melbourne. Yeah. You know, it just depends on the business model. Yeah. Did that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. That definitely makes sense. But like, how did you go from, let's say, a quarter of Melbourne to, you know, how many franchises do you have at the moment? 800, 900? Before COVID. (laughs) So it's before and after COVID. (laughs) We haven't got after yet. Before COVID were 867. Okay, yeah. Well on tar- target to have 1,000 franchisees by the end of the year. I see. So, That's incredible. Sure. At the start of your career, did you believe that you could reach 800 plus franchises or were you just thinking of one at a time? Uh, yeah, it was one at a time, but, you know, I was hoping one day, you know, you might have 100 franchisees one day, you know. That was mm-hmm. kind of the goal initially. Yeah, I never thought it'd be 867. Not at all. Did you think that without using Jim's franchise's name that you could have achieved this type of success on your own or did you put your ego to the side straight away and say, yeah, it's not going to happen? Quickly, I realized to build a national brand costs millions and millions of dollars. Mm. Um, And it's very hard to have that kind of money when you first start out. You just can't do it. Or you've got to try and give it a, you know, 20, 30 year journey, which, you know, I haven't got that patience. So it was better just to join somebody that already had the, the national presence. You see, I think, that's, I think that's incredible. And anyone that is listening that definitely thinks that you always need to just do it on your own and have your own name, you know, this is mm. a, good, a really good wake-up call to say, you know, if you want to be good at business anyway, you have to realize what's yeah. out there, what you're good at, what you're not good at, and then, you know, form a plan, which is what you did. I grew up in a suburb called Thomastown, Melbourne. And I remember growing up, you know, in the local shops, you know, there was probably... 200 local shops in the shopping centre there. And we moved out of Thomastown and we moved uh, to Keelor in my late teens. And after some time, when I went back to Thomastown and I went to the local shops, I realised that all the no-brand shops were gone. And it was just the franchises that were still there. Franchising, you know, has got much more power and resilience to longevity, you know. that I realised that very early on. Yeah, franchising is so powerful. Ideally, I, I wanted to build my own name and franchise that. That would be the ultimate goal. 
but there's just so much cost in doing that. And so it's such a long, long journey. It takes forever. So how long would that journey take? Like, let's say someone that's wants to start that and make their own franchise, let's say empire. Yeah, would it take like sure. a couple of decades to do that? I think so. Uh, it's got to take at least 20 years, I reckon. I mean, that's if you want to do it right, Mario. You know, there's good ways of doing things and bad ways of doing things, you know. The best way of, of doing a franchise is, you know, following the, the franchise council, following those rules. If you follow those rules, man, it's, it's a long journey. But if you take shortcuts and stuff, yeah, you might do it in a couple of years. But is it a real franchise? I don't know. You know, there's yeah. a lot of shonky franchises out there. That's a good point. And I think that... Anyone that wants to achieve your longer term success needs to needs to do it the right way. Otherwise, yeah, you can build something for five years and then it can just so quickly just yeah. be taken away from you. So Exactly. I think, I think that's a very uh, powerful message for people that, you know, the get rich, get quick get yeah. rich, get quick scheme doesn't really exist, does it? <laughs> well, I'm not that way inclined. You know, it's a long journey. Yeah. Um, and we're here for the long haul. And that's probably why we're so successful because we we're building our foundation solid you know it's like building a house build it on sand it's not going to last very long you'll still have a house but for how long whereas if you build it on concrete it's going to be there for 100 years good analogy actually Mm. (laughs) i'm going to use that one (laughs) (laughs) thanks I actually had a question that said, how did you approach Jim when you had the idea? But it seems like, sure. I mean, it seems like he actually approached you then in a way or, or was it not? I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was obviously a long time ago, but by thinking about it, I think that's what happened. My next door neighbor's brother, he got me to start thinking about it. Obviously I did my research and then went back to them. Yeah. But initially he was the, uh, he gave me the idea. You obviously had to sit down with the gym and, and your lawyers and discuss like a, a plan on how all this would work. hundred percent. Yeah, 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 definitely. I did a lot of investigation. How long did the investigation take like for yourself uh, before you made the decision? Uh, probably 12 months. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Okay. Um, and what I was investigating is um, what my losses were going to be because obviously joining somebody, there's going to be expenses that you pay them or some sort of, commission or percentage that you pay them um, initially I looked at that as expenses mm-hmm. but once I realized they're not expenses they are investments um, and that's a, a very interesting point the franchise fees might sound like a fee but it's they're not fees they're investments into the brand that you you manage do you know what I mean yeah yeah definitely well you, you've got that buy-in uh, like there needs to be a reason why you're going to buy in and if you're looking at as an as an expense then you're probably not yeah. approaching it from you know the right point of view like what you just said how did you change your mindset from looking at it as an expense compared to an investment uh, i kind of weighed up the, if i did it on my own what those costs will be and i worked out those costs were higher than by joining a brand an existing brand so to me it was a saving and because it was a saving, I looked at that as an investment mm. because it's a saving because to do anything yourself, there's still, there's costs, man. You know, there's lawyer costs and yes. um, like TV. I'm not sure if you, if you know the costs of advertising on TV. <laughs> I haven't looked at that yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, millions of dollars. So in fact, instead of paying millions, I paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, which yeah. is, you know, I was way, way in front. So, in fact, to me, that was an investment of savings. I like that. See, that's a different way of looking at it. And everyone that seems to do very well in business <laughs> can can look outside the square and actually see these things and put them together. 
And yeah, I think that's amazing. That's the most amazing part about your journey is the whole Mm -hmm. not wanting to just go out and make it, you know, as an example, hey, does cleaning, but you wanted to, Mm -hmm. you saw the power of the brand. I mean, to me, I think that's, that's amazing business skills to actually do that and benefit yourself and your team in a much more powerful way instead of, yeah, instead of trying to go the, the other way and potentially probably failing if you're coming up, you know, big and powerful brands, they can just, yeah, I mean, they've got the capital to to last who knows how long. Well, that's right. And, you know, the example of the the Thomastown shops, you know, all those people went in with the right intentions, Mm. with the right logos and the right branding and everything. But, you know, 10 years later, they weren't there. Whereas all the existing franchise brands, they were still there. They're still there till today. Yeah, exactly right. No, that's it. There was a McDonald's store there when I was five years old. It's still there. I'm a little bit older than five years old. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But let's talk about the failures as well of franchises, because I'm sure that a couple of them fail. And I want you to take me through why they fail. Is it the people? Like, yeah, you you guide me through. Global research is independent business owners. 12 months after they start, about, I think it's 95% of them fail. That's independent brands. Whereas in franchising, less than 10% fail. So that's a big difference, yeah. 95% to 10%. So then what we're saying is in our cleaning franchises, about 10% still fail. And that is true. But the good thing about the gyms system is even failures, we sell them, sell it so they can get out. Like they don't actually lose their investment. So, you, you know, you buy the franchise, if it doesn't work out, Obviously, you sell it, hopefully for the same price that you bought it. Yeah. Or you may might be a little bit cheaper. You, you'll only have a, a few thousand dollar losses. Um, and why does it fail? The people that don't follow our systems and processes, they try and take shortcuts, you know, or it just doesn't fit their lifestyle. You know, cleaning work may sound exciting initially and simple, but, you know, it, it can be hard on the body or on your hands because you're always wiping with your hands. Yeah. So some people physically it doesn't work out for them. Yeah. Or, yeah. No, that's, that, that's very cash flow management. That's one of the, the biggest problems. Cause remember being in your own business, there are so many things that you got to stay on top of, you know, your bass statements, your bookkeeping, your mm. tax returns. If you're going to employ people, you got a superannuation, all those complex issues that we try and support them and help them through those things. But some people just don't get it. And it's better for them just to go off and be an employee somewhere. What you just said there was a good point Mm -hmm. uh, about like, let's say people that starting businesses and their turnover is quite large in the first 12 months. And let's say it's 150,000. They don't actually say that it's not 150,000. Like (laughs) it it needs to be 150,000 minus the tax in the structure that you've got set up. And then plus what you said, the quarterly basses and yeah, everyday expenses. Yeah. Or GST is probably the easiest pitfall to fall in. You know, every job that we do, we charge the customer 10% GST, yep. which you then have to collect. And when you do your BAS return, you need to give all that money to the government yep. or to the tax man, which many, many people, you know, don't. They use that money on their day-to-day living. And when they go to do their BAS return, they've got to somehow find that money that they've spent. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. They into a pothole, into a pothole. Or what they do is, when they know they've spent it, they suddenly don't fill out their BAS return. And before they know it, you know, 12 months of not filling it out, instead of owing $2,000 return, now they owe 15000 20000 
bang, I can't afford that. They close shop, go bankrupt, then close. So at Jim's Cleaning, do you have a, like a teaching system where you actually educate on the financial side of it? Because I think from like my own experience owning a business, the first thing I actually ever did was learn the, like the simple stuff about accounting and bookkeeping before actually starting. Sure. Well done. That's the trick, mate. Well, knowledge is power. So we're, yeah, we're pretty big on that. When you come and join us, the first thing we do is we put you through our induction program, which is a training program. Um, and it's three days at the head office in Rulebark. And after that, we, we'd have a, a seven-day modular program. And one of the modules is tax. And we definitely teach the systems and processes in how the tax things work. Mm. But above all that, we're actually a bit lucky. We have a Jim's bookkeeping franchise. Yep. Uh, and we can refer them straight to there. So if, if they're not understanding how that things work, they can actually pass that part of their business to a, a, a trained bookkeeper. Yeah, yeah. see, that's a, I think that's important. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you're the smartest person in your business, I think you're in a lot of trouble um, <laughs> because yes. you need to, I feel like you, like what you said before, the reason why you're so, you've done so well and so successful is because you've surrounded yourself with the right people and they're in the right roles. You know, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about the accounting side or the marketing side. I'm sure you've got professionals, which I've, you know, when I researched your stuff and watched a couple of videos on you, like yep. I saw that everyone, everyone hops onto the bus and they get into the right seat. Correct. Well done. That, that is the, the trick. That's one of my biggest strengths, actually, to identify the things that I can't do and quickly give it to someone that can do it. Mm. 100%. That's amazing, man. Well done. What about, uh, what about weakness? Like, what's your weakness? Ooh, Everyone's got weaknesses. Um, you got me there. <laughs> like, <laughs> like your strength was obviously to identify the things you weren't good at. Um, yes. But I, like, I guess, you know, that goes also into what weaknesses you saw. So, mm-hmm. so oh, I'm, I'm not very good at firing people. And unfortunately, you know, with the business our size, you know, people come and go. Yeah. And things sometimes staff don't work out. We need to fire them. Um, I certainly can't fire anybody, so I always get someone else to do that as well. <laughs> that's a yeah, uh, that's a tough one. Uh, yeah, that's probably a weakness. I'm never satisfied with wh- where we are and what we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, not financially, don't get me wrong. I'm not money hungry or anything, but I just think our business can can be bigger and better. So I'm always looking at ways of improving, expanding, um, and sometimes you know things miss out from that kind of mindset that I have mm. and the things that miss out are probably the, my family around me. You know, sometimes I might not be uh, available to them when I should be. Maybe I neglect them. I have in the past, I mean, not, not so much these days, pretty good at that now. You know, that, yes. that was a weakness. Like I consumed myself into um, building this business, which was, which was built, you know, very quickly, but it, we just kept going and going and going. And, you know, 15 years later, we're still going and going. Mate, relax a bit. Stay home. You know, mm. have a rest. I want everyone to to think about that. Like what you just said was, one like a strength is obviously being super ambitious. But in order to achieve success in business, means that you're going to have to sacrifice the other things in life, like your family or your friends. And I don't feel like everyone tries to find a, a balance. But I I don't know mm. personally. I don't really believe that much in balance. Like in order to get something, something else has to give. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's very very interesting subject. And initially, as I said, when I was working in the bank full-time, I ended up you know, cleaning four branches myself in the evening. So think about that. That's almost you know, two, 
two full-time jobs in the one day. So obviously something had to give in those days. Yeah. But what I did in those days is I built my entertainment between my jobs. <laughs> so it's a bit weird. So, so what I mean there is, you know, everyone likes to, you know, go to a restaurant or catch up with friends or whatever their social activities are. Yeah. So in my world, working two jobs in one day, you know, I couldn't finish my work and then go to a friend's house because it would, it would just be too, too long, right? Yeah. So in between jobs, I would invite friends for a you know, 15 minute, 20 minute coffee at a restaurant. Ah, uh, yes. You know, it's a bit weird, but uh, I brought my, the things that I was sacrificing in between the things that I was achieving. Yes, I see. So you did like kind of like micro meetings and micro catch ups instead yes. of yeah, yeah two three hour long catch ups. Which I don't think that's weird. I actually think that's uh really very smart. Like yeah, no, it's uh well you've only got a certain amount of hours in the day, so you're trying yes. to obviously still fit in everything without you know sacrificing things too much. Like you're trying to grow yes. a business and all of that, but you still made time for your friends or your family, just Correct. not as much. Yeah, but then later on um, when I we started the office and the gym's cleaning um, journey. In the early days, you know, I was at work 12, 15 hours a day away from home. And that was challenging because in, in the early days, I had a young family, which I should have been home a little bit more. So there was some sacrifice somewhere. But initially, I started well, then I lost control for five or six years. And then I was able to pick that back up and, and fix things and, and be normal again. What do you mean by lost control? I lost control. I stayed away from, from home mm -hmm. more than I should have. Was that because you were, you were so focused on growing the business? Yes. I was yeah, consumed by the business and I got most of my enjoyment and satisfaction from my business, which after the fact, I believe that's wrong. You should get most of your enjoyment and satisfaction from your family. Mm. Now, it's a complete turnaround from what I used to think, but it's, don't get me wrong, this is after the fact. So yes. it's easy, easy to talk after the fact. Yeah, my biggest strengths at the moment, Mario, and my biggest loves and enjoyment and, and, and high fives and, and the love of my life is, is my family at yeah. the moment. Um, and like I said, there was that five or six years where I neglected them and I realized that now. Yes. No, it's a, that was a bit deep. I know. I'm sorry. No, no, don't be, don't be. That's, that's what it's all about. That's so important because I, I'm like going through the early stages of my own, you know, business and developing it. And I noticed that it's, it's literally 24 seven of trying to grow it. What am I doing? Well, what am I not doing? Well, and yes. you know, experimenting. And then sometimes you do have to sacrifice that time with your partner or your family uh, in order to, you know, achieve the type of success that you want but only if it brings you happiness. Cause some people try and chase it for the money and the, you know, cause they're mm. greedy and that just ruins them. But if you genuinely enjoy it, I don't think there's a problem with it. Well, you might enjoy it, but what if you got two little kids at home yeah. and you're stuck at work? Are your two little kids enjoying it? Yeah. So you are, you're, you're loving life. You're, you know, you're at work kicking goals, you know, having a lot of wins, but your two little kids are at home stuck with their mum or their grandparents Mm. missing out on the on, on their parents you know what, what would be your, your advice there because like if you like i mean uh, no no doubt if you're trying to grow a massive business that that probably mm. will happen yeah you just got to be aware of it and 
try and find time for them as well. You know, maybe make some rules. Saturdays and Sundays, you do not work. You just mm. spend 48 hours with them. Or evenings, you, you, you switch off at a certain time, five o'clock, six o'clock, whatever it might be, switch off and it's family time. Because the whole world's not based around business and achievements. Yes. You know, your biggest achievements are your family. I love that so much because mm-hmm. anyone listening right now needs to actually rewind that, listen to what Haydar said about, you know, your biggest yeah. achievements actually come from, you know, the relationships that you do have, not from, you know, money can just buy materialistic things, <laughs> but it doesn't actually bring you, it might bring you happiness for 20 days, but after that it's gone. Yeah. Well done. Exactly um, right. Bit of a smoke screen, mate. Eh? That's what it is. <laughs> exactly. The biggest rewards are, always come from your family, 100%. But like I said, I'm talking after the fact. So don't, I, yeah. I, I can't take any credit for achieving that kind of success. Uh, I'm, I'm actually being honest and telling that there, there was a bit of a failure in my, in my business journey as well. And that was probably the biggest failure. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's really, really good honesty. So, mm. Well, I know that you and I have spoken about always trying to find an edge with someone and, you, you know, rejection's a part of the game. And what yes. advice do you have for those who keep being re- rejected? How can they find the edge? Rejection is a very uh, uh, painful thing, right? But once you understand in business, rejection is part of the process. Um, and it's something that I learned early on. Uh, I, I got some advice for, uh, when I first started. He told me, he said, Business is a numbers game. And I didn't understand what he meant. And sometime later, I worked it out. What he means by numbers game is rejection. So once you understand it's all about numbers, like say in a tennis coach business, if you want to get 50 clients, you can't get every client that walks through the door. You know, some of them are going to not want to be with that coach. Yeah. And you probably know that. So some of it's going to be rejection. So if you understand that to get 50 clients, you must see a certain number of potential clients and then the number might be, who knows, 100. Mm -hmm. So once you realise I need to see 100 people and from that 100 people I should be able to get 50 clients, so 50 people are actually rejecting you, they're not actually rejecting, it's just part of the numbers game. True. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Like you can't expect to have 50 and then sign up 50. You need to. Correct. If you want the number to be 50, then you might have to go through a hundred reject, like hundred rejections. Yes. 50 will be successful. Exactly. But don't see it as a rejection. Just see it as the numbers game. In that process, like, and I don't know, Mm. and this could be, uh, you know, sometimes people tend to take it personal when they get rejected. Is it personal or do you need to tick off and say, okay, did I do something wrong? If so, do you ask feedback from the customer? Of course you do. Exactly. It's all about percentages, right? Numbers game, percentages. So from if I was going to see 100 people and convert 50 from that 100, that would be 50% conversion, right? Mm. So your aim is to improve that percentage of conversion. So you need to, uh, to get knowledge and understand why you didn't convert that. How can you shorten the gap? So you may look at things like your pricing, your tools that you use, your handouts, or the things that you've said, you know, you've got to master your craft mm. to try and increase the conversion rate. And there's yeah. never, ever going to be a time when it's a 100% conversion. I understand that. But to increase the conversion rate. Yes. That's fantastic. I think that's, that's <clears throat> so important because people tend to, they drop their head after, you know, 
they get rejected, you know, nine out of 10 times and then they take it so personal and think they're, <laughs> they're wrong. But, you know, it's, it could be just the, how they're delivering the message and the, you know, yes. how much buy-in are they getting from the client? Yeah, and it could even be pricing. Yeah. You know, if the industry warrants, uh, you know, it's $100 an hour for a tennis coach and you're trying to charge $200 an hour, mm. your conversion rate's going to be very, very low. Yes, you know? yeah, that's, that's, that's a good so, point. Can you take me through the process over the last couple of decades and how you went from the small business to being the largest business well, franchise in the world? Well, I don't know if we're the largest fran cleaning franchise in the world. We possibly are the, the largest domestic cleaning franchise in the world. I haven't had the time to confirm the, those numbers. Yeah. But, but how did we do that? We, we just kept improving our craft. You know, we're, and we're in the franchise selling business. So continuously we're improving by the knowledge that we're getting and we document and measure every part of our business so i can go back to day one and tell you till today how many franchise inquiries we have with names and addresses um, which again gives us our conversion rates at the moment we have 73 uh, area managers spread out across the country or two countries now and we are consistently monitoring their conversion rates and making improvements, which then helps the business grow because we're understanding all the numbers, all the figures. And that's important in business. You always need to measure everything that you do and obviously try and improve it. See, so, so with, the, with the whole documenting everything, so from pretty much the first day you started your business, you've kept record of of what's yes. worked, what hasn't, your conversion, <clears throat> maybe pricing structure, whatever it could be. And that way, over time, you yeah. always look back and then change the system potentially. Correct. That's exactly right. And probably this goes back to why did I buy a franchise instead of doing it myself? Another thing that the Jim's group had, they had the technology to store data. Yes. Um, we, call it the, uh, we call it FMS, which is the Franchise Management System. Every customer that calls the gyms group goes through that system and every, everything is re recorded and kept. So the gyms group actually has, you know, 30 years of data on a machine. For you to develop that with your own name, that would have cost Jesus a fortune. Correct. And in fact, um, Jim Penman himself, to maintain this machine that we have, which is the FMS machine and a few other little tools, in f I think it cost him uh, over $2 million a year just to maintain this machine. Think about that. Try and, try and build that into your business. <laughs> would be, uh, that'd be quite <laughs> tough, especially as a startup. You would need to, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. Need, yeah, it w wouldn't even work realistically. Well, you'd need a lot of pens and papers, that's for sure. If you're going to do it manually. 100%. And obviously mm. building a massive business, you had to find the right people for the right role. And yes. and when they weren't the right person, how quickly did you get rid of them? Some of them very quickly. Uh, but again, I don't think I have personally sacked anyone myself. I would, I would get someone else to do it. Some of them quickly. Some of them, because I couldn't sack them and I didn't know how to do it, yeah, some of them stayed with us a bit longer than they should. Mm. So I'm not really that that good in that area um, but the ones that I do find uh, what I w look for my areas I look for someone that I can work with like no one's got all the skills initially have they no. you need to work with them and train them 
and all my management staff in the office here, they're all people that I can work with. I can mould them to the, the things that I need and yeah. vice versa. You know, I learn from them as well. I mean, I have people around me. I try and get people that I can learn from too. It's amazing that you're, you're saying all of that, especially when it comes down to finding the right people and surrounding yourself with the, the people that have they share similar values. They don't have to be identical, yeah. but ones that mm. you can spend every day with and they're not yes. going to annoy you. And then yeah. you know, the skill training is going to happen where sometimes you can find the best, like, let's say, for example, in my situation, the best tennis coach in the world and I can yes. try and hire him, but we don't get along. It's never going to work. <laughs> Correct. Bingo. You hit the nail on the head on that one. Yeah. Because you, you realize you, you spend most of the day with them. You know, you could be seven, eight hours together. Oh, you need to get along and you need to be able to push each other. It's like a marriage in a way. Mm. Like a partner, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, if you're going to be spending that much time with them, you'd hope that, yeah, <laughs> like you said, you can get along with them. You can trust them. And mm. has, has there been anyone in, in your business that, I mean, I don't know if it happens at your level, but where people are, are dishonest? No, I don't think I've come across dishonest. Yeah. I've come across lazy or people who, who tell you they've got certain skills and then you quickly realise that they don't. The people around me want to do good for, for the business as a whole. I mean, I don't like people that they only work to feather their own nest. Yeah. They're the people I, I don't hire them. Yeah. And if I realise that that's what they're here to do, just here to make money and really, you know, not give back to the business, they're the ones that we have to let go. Yeah, well, unfortunately, for those types of people that are wanting to join a bigger business, a bigger business is essentially a team sport. Um, yes. And like what we mentioned earlier, you have to be, you have to have your own role and, you know, you have to have 10 yep. different roles and 10 different people. And I'll, I'll tell you some insight. We... Um, in my current office at the moment, I think there's 13 or 15 uh, staff in this office. We actually don't have a, a cleaner that comes through every night. Can you believe that? Well, wow. <laughs> so what we do, yeah, 15 people, we all are responsible for the cleaning of this office. So everyone chips in. Um, someone might do the vacuuming. Someone will have a turn cleaning the bathroom. The other guy does the dishes and we just... As a, as a family, we, we get the cleaning done. And I, I, this is something that I've done since day one. Yes, it's a work environment, but we're all connected to each other. And it's, in some ways, it's, it's kind of a family. So, you know, we, this is, and this office is kind of like a home. We all work from here. We all get benefit from here. Let's look after it. It's just like a family environment, you know? Yeah, see, that's, that's, that's great. Having that type of culture, it seems that all, all very good businesses have a great culture and, yeah, they're pretty yeah. much inseparable, really. But I also give back to them, you know, um, most days of the week, at least three days a week, um, lunch is paid for by me, yep. for, the, for the staff. We have regular barbecues, regular bling. It could even be once a week or if not every 10 days or so, we have a barbecue for everybody as a whole. So they give me like family values. I give back to them as parent values. Yes. So that's great stuff. And that, and were you like that from day one or is that something you've developed yes. and, and just kind of understood over time? No, it's always been from day one yeah. because, you know, I, I'm just an, a guy who left school who, who 
to just started something, you know, and it, it was very small. And, you know, when it's very small, you don't have a cleaner. You know, you're not that successful yet, you know. Yes. And for some reason, it just kept going that way. And, you know, 20 years later, it's the same process, same system. It's, it's working really well for me. Yes, no, definitely. Especially for people to feel valued and cared for and loved. I think that's, that's, you know, everyone, no one wants to go to work feeling like, you know, the, the boss mm-hmm. is going to be, you know, not very nice to them. Hopefully they don't see me as a boss. I think they see me as just a, a, a part of the whole machine, you know, yes. We're all part of the same team. So what systems are important for developing any type of size business? Like I know that you spoke about having obviously the accounting and bookkeeping, but what else would you suggest? Well, definitely um, you need to understand or find out what the frequently asked questions are and what the frequently problems are and then have a certain way to access those frequently asked questions without actually speaking to somebody. So what I mean by that is in our, on the back end of our cleaning website, we have member area, uh, one for our franchisees and one for our franchisors, which are our managers. If you've got a question or you forgot something or if you need something, the first place you look is, is the members area. We call it the hub. Mm-hmm. So if you forgot how much it costs to buy a vacuum cleaner, for instance, as an example, instead of ringing me or one of my managers, you just go into the hub and you have a look and it's there. So what that does is it saves time and people aren't ringing you for trivial things that they can work out themselves. So that, that part of the business is automated and like that systems, obviously, like yes. what you said, you don't have to contact any humans. Like you can easily just find yes. out. Okay. Yeah. And that's important because if you haven't got systems like that, then everyone's on the phone to everybody all day just talking about trivial things. Mm. Cost of a vacuum cleaner, really? Yes. Yeah, that could be a 10-minute conversation, ringing up, answering. It's just a waste of time. True. So you need to build the system. And the best system we have is that hub of ours. So every time we work out that it's a frequently, it's a frequent issue or a frequently asked question, we put it into the hub. I see. Yeah. And, and is that also available not just for your staff but for customers as well? No, unfortunately not, not for the customers. Yep. It's for our franchisees and our franchisors. But come to think of it, it's probably a good point. Yeah, why not make something available to customers like frequently asked questions? Yeah, why not? Yes. Yeah, because I just know that some people right. don't, don't actually want to get on the phone and call. But if you don't have yes. it on your website, then they'll be like, oh, I'll go to maybe someone else who does. Um, yes, like just on feedback that I've received with my staff. So I like I'm working on the system of actually having automated answers in case someone doesn't want to. Yes. Call me. Yes. I'm writing this down, Mario. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You'll learn one thing from me today. So that's good. <laughs> um, and how important is, I've sat down with a few people and they, they always talk about building a team around you. When I, when I say team, I don't actually just mean the staff, but like, you know, the accounting team, the legal team, bookkeeping how important is that for a small size business Mm -hmm. that is very important it's good that you call it team i actually call it partners partners Mm. in my business you know yeah and you know my bank was my partner luckily these days we we don't really need much funding or banking Um, but yeah your bank should be one of your partners your your bookkeeper your your accountant your supplier your supplier is probably one of your biggest partners you know, you run out of a, a chemical or a vacuum cleaner or something, you need access to it quickly. 
Um, so your cleaning supply in our business is, is probably the most important one. Yeah, that's very important for sure. So let's say a, a small, someone starting up a small business, they've only got 10,000 or they want to, they want to raise some money from the bank and they've got 20,000. Mm. Like obviously em, employing lawyers to like, let's say set up a proper a structure for, you know, tax reasons and asset protection and all of that, that's going to yes. probably set them back a few thousand. Like, do you mm. still recommend getting the structure set up properly from the start or waiting um, until you've got some cash? Yeah, it's probably do it slowly. I think, um, keep your initial investment as low as possible um, and you can sort of clean things up as you go. But then again, that depends on if you're joining a business with a partner, you definitely need to get your legal paperwork done right from yes. day one. But if you're doing it on your own, it's probably not so important. And then as you go on, if you're going to partner up with people in the future, you can sort of do it later on once you've got some more savings. Yep. So yeah, it actually depends. Yeah, yeah, that's a good answer. Um, and accounting, like obviously, I don't know, I, I haven't yet come across any businesses that don't have good accountants and all of that. But like as an example with my own setup, once I learned how to do the, the bookkeeping myself, I then outsourced yeah. that and delegated that to a bookkeeper just to save myself time. Would you recommend that as well for smaller businesses looking to transition to bigger? I think you really need to have a some sort of platform that you run your accounting from. And these days you're pretty lucky. There's really good programs out there. Yeah. Um, I think it's best to understand the mechanics of your, your bookkeeping. And once you understand it, if you think you've got the skills to continue to do it on your own, which you can these days, because like I said, those tools like QuickBooks and MYOB and all that, they're pretty easy to use. Continue to do it yourself. Or if you work out that you can't, quickly give it to a bookkeeper. Yes, but, yeah. but those tools are very easy. Like one of the hardest parts in bookkeeping was, is to reconcile things, you know, from, <laughs> from payment to your bank. But the machine actually does it for you now. You just connect it to your bank statement and it, it reconciles. You can actually do it on your phone. Yes. Yeah, it is actually quite easy these days. We're yeah. quite, quite fortunate with, yeah, like what you said, QuickBooks and yes. reconciling the books and all of that. Correct. And you, there's a lot of courses out there that you can do. And I'll give you an example. Like I've been in business for a very long time. And two years ago, I actually started another business within my business. So and what I did there is I actually spent three months in the bookkeeping department for that business to actually understand it. And then obviously I, I left it to the bookkeepers to run with. But it, I did want to understand the numbers and the, the mechanics of how, how things work. And to understand bookkeeping is very, very, very important. Yes. Um, and then you either continue to do it yourself or you give it to someone else, but at least you understand how to do it. Yeah. That's priceless advice because you do, yeah. you do need to understand the basics of, you know, income expenses, Yes. you know, assets, liabilities, where some people, like what we spoke yes. about, people get themselves in hot water by not understanding that they go broke because they've got no cash left to pay their tax or their, the GST. Well, it's yeah, exactly. It's like all those big movie stars, you know, like yes. they make a million dollars and then, Nine years later, they're, they're broke. Mm. What happened? Because they didn't understand the numbers. They left all the numbers to someone else who then obviously did it all wrong or they, they stole from them or whatever it might be. They, they go broke. Yes. You know? exactly. So you've got to understand the numbers for sure. And do you think it's important how much you make or how much you keep? <laughs> very, very good question. <laughs> Def, how much you keep, that's the trick. Easy to make, but it's how much do you keep? Oh, yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, see, that's uh, always here, like, especially if you're uh, around younger, you know, males and females, I always say, you know, oh, I'm, I'll make 300 grand. And then, you know, yeah. it, I've, ne- I've always I've always said back to them, it's not really how much you make, it's what you actually keep, <laughs> what stays in your pocket. Correct. Um, and then what you do mm. to grow your income after that. Yeah, which then goes back to knowing the numbers. You know, a successful business person will always analyse the numbers you know, however often they can, if it's quarterly, annually, whatever it might be, where you can look at those and, you know, you could look at it and you see, hey, I I spent $18,000 this year on petrol. Well, then you realise that that's an issue, you know. Mm. So what you might do then is try and work out why you spent 18 and then you might work out, hey, it's because I had this supercharged V8 Mm. (laughs) that I was driving around. Maybe I should consider getting a four-cylinder for my work, you know, and reduce that 18000 to 8000 Even you at the size of your business, you, you still sit down and look at where your money's flowing in and flowing out? Yes, and you'd be surprised. I do that monthly, every single month. It's amazing. I look at, I look at the numbers. I mean, I have trigger points where I, I can sort of see things as a whole these days because after all this time, you sort of get to know, to know things. You have to analyse the numbers. Otherwise, who knows, you know, 12 months could go past and if you realise 12 months later that you're making a loss in a certain area, you know, that could affect you greatly. Very mm. true. So with um, like advice for, want- for those wanting to transition from employee to business, do you recommend it for those wanting to try it? And if so, what type of, you know, mindset and skills do you think they need to develop? Uh, I definitely recommend it to everybody because I believe, you know, working for yourself there's nothing better than that. And if you structure it right, um, structure it right, I mean, is, you know, to make it fun and enjoyable, you know, there's nothing that can beat that. Mm. Um, and the mindset that you need is to, to understand that whatever you know today will not be the same tomorrow or next year or the year after. So you have to continuously keep improving your skills and your craft to, to be able to survive and achieve longevity because mm. if you don't better yourself and move with the times and uh, obtain knowledge you'll be left behind and someone will come come by and overtake you yes yes that's such a powerful message because people yes. are comfortable and they think that the good times will last forever and unfortunately yes. they don't someone you know someone a bit yes. younger than you can come in and and yeah. actually willing to risk it and try new things and all of a sudden you know they can take over yeah exactly it's like um, Kodak, you know, with the, the, the camera and the, the printing of the, the photo. Yes, yeah. exactly. And you hear, you hear about it all the time, uh, especially mm-hmm. these days with technology taking over. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's great yeah. advice for anyone wanting to start their own business is actually just give it a try. If you're employed by somebody, all that knowledge and everything else is done by someone else. You know, the, the, the management of that business will go out and, to keep ahead of the market, they do that for you. And all you do is you go to work and at the end of the week, you get your wages, you know? But when you work for yourself, you're the guy that has to keep um, evolving and obtaining knowledge. And you have to understand that and know that you have to do that. You have to. Very, very true. But also in, in saying that, some people don't actually like want that type of lifestyle. They prefer to, you know, they know that money's coming in at a certain time yes. and they, and you know, for those types of people, like obviously, like mm-hmm. would probably recommend for them to keep being an employee and working hard at that. 
Definitely. Yeah, look, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, you know? definitely. And I tried that, obviously, when I started the bank, but I just realised that that wasn't for me. I wasn't going to achieve my life rewards from being like that, you know? Definitely. But then I've on got- the same token, you know, I've got friends who are employed who are earning hundreds of thousands of dollars from their employer. Yep. You know, they're doing well. Yes, exactly right. No, that's right. I've got, I've got a final question for you. If you... If you lost it all today in three to five key steps, how would you rebuild it? Well, we're, we're lucky because we, we have our systems and processes. Uh, we would just follow those processes again. The good thing is I know the game and the game is numbers. So we just have to just get back out there and, you know, use that knowledge to, to do it again. Like we know that we can sell one franchise with 10 inquiries. So if I had to rebuild it, I know that I have to get 10 inquiries to make one sale. Yes. So I know that information so I can do that. And I've got a very good example for that. About three years ago, we took our Australian operation and we launched in New Zealand. And, you know, two years on, we're over 30 franchisees there already because we got the formula we just took it there and copied the formula. You know, if I lost everything, that's what I'll do. I'll just, again, follow the formula and rebuild. Mm. God forbid. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. I, you know, that'd be a very hard road to do again. I don't know if I've got the energy, but I know I've got the skills to rebuild it again. No problem. And it'd probably take you a shorter amount of time if you were to, let's <clears> say, <throat> if you did lose it all, um, yeah. instead of, let's say, it takes 20 years, it'd probably take you half the time because you, know, you have the experience, you know exactly what steps you would take. Um, Correct. I, I know that you obviously can't take shortcuts on time or anything like that, but you can't. Mm. You can take shortcuts on experience and go to those who have, you know, done what you're yes. trying to do. Correct. It's the experience and the knowledge. Um, knowledge is power. You know, a 20 year old business has so much knowledge. It's not funny. That knowledge you can actually take big, big, long leap steps instead of taking little baby steps. Just way more in front. Yes. No, definitely, definitely. Well, uh, Hayda, thank you so much for your time today. I hope that, uh, I know that we chatted for a while and I really appreciate it. Um, yes. And where can people reach you? Like if they want to get in touch with you or potentially someone listening, you know, wants to start up their yeah. own business, how can they get in contact? Certainly. I'm happy to talk to anybody. I actually enjoy helping and, and you know, seeing young people grow or anyone start a business. You know, I'd love to see see what they can do or how I can help them, no problem. You can email me, hader at jimscleaning.net.au. Beautiful. Hader, again, thank you so much. You're an incredible person, incredible success. And yes, I've definitely learned a lot from you and I'll keep picking your brain in stages. <laughs> Lovely. And I thank you, Mario, and I've learned from you as well. So thank you. Hope no you enjoy problem. your day. No problem. Thank you, Hader. And there you have it, folks. I hope that you all got some serious value out of that episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share the love by subscribing, sharing it with a friend and leaving a review. If you're wanting to reach out or stay up to date with us, check out our Facebook and Instagram page at Spark Tennis Oz. See you next week.